women's rights Welcome to episode nine of season two from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2022 edition of the Women's IP World Annual can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that many IP conferences are back in person, keep an eye out for hard copies as well. We're very fortunate to have a repeat guest. We have Nicole Gorlier, attorney at law in the trademark department of Interpatent, a law firm in Italy. Nicole, where are you located? Hi, everyone. I'm located in Turin, Italy. It's in Piedmont. Okay. So for those of us, I mean, as a wine person, wine connoisseur, <laughs> I know I actually know where Piedmont is. <laughs> But can you tell um, perhaps those that are maybe a little bit more geographically challenged where where Piedmont is? Yes, it's in the northwestern part of Italy. It's next to Milan. It's like a 45-minute train ride from Milan. Okay, so those of us from outside of Italy, if we were flying, we would probably just fly into Milan. That would make the most sense. Uh, you can fly to Turin too, actually. But yeah, Milan would be better connected, I think. Okay, got it. Okay, well, I know, Nicole, that you are part of a team of four women from your office mm -hmm. that put together an article for the 2021 and the 2022 Women in IP World Annuals. Uh, last year, we had a great conversation with your partner, Manuela, and you on IP consultants uh, becoming IT consultants. Mm -hmm. uh, and today, we're going to talk about blockchain and IP. So, Nicole, so glad you could join me again. Thank you. So before we turn to the article, however, uh, please remind us a little bit, since um, it's been some time since we last spoke, about your background. Yes. So I've been working in Interpatent since 2017. Uh, before, uh, I worked in another law firm uh, specialized in IP, uh, but the Kind of funny thing is that uh, I started out as a criminal lawyer. Uh, I attended uh, Turin's university and specialized in criminal law. So I took the bar exam in criminal law. And then one day I just um, put my CV online and this IP firm contacted me. Um, I was very skeptical because I I had attended a course on IP, but it was a very short course and I didn't know practically anything about trademarks and patents and copyright, but um, I saw it as a great opportunity. So I started and actually I 
never regretted my choice of changing field uh, because actually I like IP better than criminal law, that I have to say. Um, and I work in Interpatent's trademark department, but I also uh, draft contracts, license uh, assignments uh, or coexistence agreements together with another attorney at law that works at Interpatent uh, with me. And uh, I am a member also of the Young Practitioners Committee of INTAC. So let's get back to this criminal law piece, <laughs> okay, because most people don't go into IP from, from such a different area of the law, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because actually when I was a law student, I, I was in a criminal law clinic hmm. where my first case was um, involved visiting members uh they were already imprisoned um so they were they were convicted of a gang rape oh. i kid you not i'm visiting these various um criminals and working on the commutation of my quote unquote clients mm -hmm. sentence because his was a lot longer than the others okay, okay. so <laughs> you know after a semester in that area, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is for me. And I appreciate those that go into such, you know, areas like that. Yeah. I don't want to deal, right? I don't want to mm -hmm. stress over people's liberties. Um, I'd much rather um, stress, if, if you call it that, right? Um, be, you know, impassioned yeah. with people's creativity. Mm -hmm. or protecting one's creativity. So for you, I mean, I'm not sure the kind, were you doing criminal litigation? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We had all sorts of clients, um, rapists, uh, but even, you know, white collar crimes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people who wouldn't pay taxes, uh, drug cases. Uh, it, it was very stressful. I have to admit that I'm a very emotional person. So at the beginning, it was really hard for me. And so I tried to talk with my boss and he just said, um, you're not trying to free these people. You're just trying to reduce their sentence and to guarantee that they have a fair trial. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're not uh, getting people out of jail when you know that they're guilty. But nonetheless, it was kind of hard. Uh, I really liked um, all the women's part of criminal law. I mean, when women were victims, I also tried to, tried to work uh, with this shelter, giving legal advice to women. Uh, in Italy, it's a very, very big problem, violence on women. So that was kind of what I wanted to specialize in. Uh, and then just life happened. and. <laughs> I decided to change. Well, I decided to change because I don't know if you know this in Italy, um, uh, traineeships for lawyers are very, very, very badly paid. I mean, if you don't have your family who can help you and support you, you cannot go into this job. I mean, they pay you like 300 euros, 500 euros a month and mm. you just cover your costs. So it, it's very hard. And that was, you know, one of the reasons I decided to look elsewhere, but I just put the CV online. I'm not saying just for fun, but I said, okay, let's just try, let's see what happens. 
And when they called me, I, I decided to just go and, and see what they wanted to, to offer. And then I decided to stay because I actually, I actually liked it. Um, so, yeah. Well, what's not to like, right? I mean, right. IP, <laughs> IP found you. Okay. Yes, exactly. um, and not, not an area that you had you know, a huge focus on in school, right? Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. it, it found you. And that litigation background <clears throat> also for, I find for me as well, because I did work for the city in <clears throat> actually prosecuting cases before I went into, you know, the private practice mm-hmm. of intellectual property. That background in litigation just helps across the board. If, yeah. if litigation is what you're doing, I think it even helps in the prosecution sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. you you can kind of foresee, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, if we go this way, this could open us up to this issue later on, right? Exactly. When it is being litigated. So, I mean, I, I think it's such a unique, uh, your career path and its turns, right? And well, I guess the journey, right, to where you are right now, you know, it probably, you know, I say typically that, the background I've had in my career has just helped even during the, you know, seemingly, why am I doing this moments? Later, And then you're like, oh, years later, maybe you're saying, oh, I see that now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I think IP is very interesting because you get to deal with all sorts of uh, companies, fields of activity, and you actually learn a lot of stuff, you know, things that, uh, I don't know, are uh, related to finance, to real estate, that maybe you couldn't have the opportunity to, to learn by yourself. Uh, so you, you get to, to meet a lot of people, both colleagues, both clients. I think it's very, very, very interesting because it's always different. I think that's what's special about IP. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, if you're open to learning new things, then IP may be well suited for you because you have to constantly learn about your client's new thing and what they want to call it. Right. Um, All all these things. Uh, And how does it work, you know, to best help them? And where, where should it be working? Like where in the world does it make sense, you know, as far as expanding their markets? So there's, it's really, um, I agree. And it can be anywhere from, you know, a single author to some, you know, multinational company making, you know, something that's changing the world, you know, in, (laughs) you know, the disruptor type of, type Mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, And so we're kind of on the forefront you know, holding hands with the, those people, guiding, advising, and and whatnot. Um, those people. So I think it's um, in those companies. So it's very. I think we are very lucky um, to be in our space. However, we have gotten there. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So I had a, I had a question for you, yeah. Nicole, because your firm name is Interpatent. Yeah. I know that your firm obviously handles patents, but also trademarks, copyrights, domain names, many other things. Mm-hmm. So how did your name come to be called Interpatent? Well, um, our firm uh, was established in 1927. And if you see all trademark uh, certificates dating back to the beginning of the 20th century, uh, trademarks are called patents for trademarks. So I think that at the beginning, 
I, I'm not sure this is what I, I realized during these years, but I can check and confirm. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, I think everything was called patent because in Italy, um, patents are brevetto per invenzione. So it's patents for inventions. So I think mm -hmm. at the beginning, they, they distinguished between inventions and trademarks, but called them all patents. Uh, I think Inter is for international, but I think this is due to the fact that uh, the firm was established like a hundred years ago. So then things change obviously, and uh, now they're called trademarks and they have their own name. But um, I thought about this when I saw a certificate, uh, trademark certificate uh, of a client of mine, one of the first clients of, uh, of our firm. Um, and I saw patent for trademark, so I think that's why they called it interpatent. I have to. Oh wow! And so over the yeah over the years that has obviously changed, but to have patent as the generic term, basically for intellectual property, or at least between trademarks and patents being the, that generic term, and then it's what kind of patent? Oh, it's a trademark or an invention. Wow. Okay, that does really um, that that really was mind-blowing and the whole mm -hmm. semantic piece and how history plays plays a role in what we what we call things yeah <laughs> so i want to um just let everyone know who's listening that your bio in the 2022 annual is on page 54 and 55 because there are four authors to this article and then the article starts on page 56 i actually have it in front of me as well um, for those who want to flip to it or feel free, it's the same numbering online. And your article is entitled Blockchain and IP Seen from the Perspective of Italian Practitioners. And, it, you know, it made it made me laugh when I saw um, in a big, bold question underneath blockchain again. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess that does appear on conference agendas and in articles and whatnot. Um, does it seem like blockchain is over-discussed at this point in time? Uh, well, actually, not now, really. That That's what I wanted to say. I mean, I think the article we wrote is a little bit outdated because at the time we wrote it, obviously, everybody was talking about blockchain. I also saw uh, that many table topics at INTA talk about blockchain, metaverse, NFTs. But I think that as of today, people are talking about it a little less, um, but nonetheless, it's, it's a very important topic and it's very useful, especially in the, in the IP world. But uh, I think things have a little bit changed because um, I believe that at the beginning, all the companies that invested in blockchain thought that due to the pandemic, um, things would be different. People would have stayed at home a lot more. So they needed to create something different from what was actually available for, for the public at that time. So uh, blockchain and that led to the creation you know, of also the metaverse was just very important. But since things, I have to say, kind of got back to normal, uh, I don't know in the States if, if everything is as before, but in Italy, uh, I have to say so. Um, we don't wear masks anymore unless we're going to the hospital or to the doctor. Things things are back to normal, I have to say. I think that 
some people may have lost a little bit of interest in the blockchain. Uh, but um, in IP, I think it has, uh, has a very, very big impact because it's very useful and allowed us to be a little more, a little more um, digital, technological, and abandon those means that we used before, uh, for example, to timestamp documents. Um, in Italy, if you wanted to um, prove that at that time and at that date, that document contained that precise data, you needed to go to a public notary. Public notary means they have to call the public notary, you have to fix an appointment, you have to print all the pages that you want to bring to the attention of the public notary, you have to buy the stamps, you have to pay the notary. So it's time and cost consuming. Now with blockchain, you have a platform, you upload the document, you have your document time stamped in like two minutes. So I think it's very, very useful, for example, from that point of view. Absolutely. And we're going to we're going to drill down on that. Um, but before we we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, I also tend to think that, you know, blockchain, maybe the reason why it's not being discussed as it was formally was because it was the discussions dealt with, you know, is this good? Is this bad? How you know, how do we do it? Um, so to to really make it legitimate and all, you know, on all, all the other things that go into blockchain. Now it's like a given because yeah. it's implemented. Exactly. So now the discussions around blockchain are not it, it's not revolving the same issues. It's still mm -hmm. discussed probably, but not not as, you know, the hot topic as it was before, because it's it's a part of our daily lives in many right. in many respects. And we'll talk about that. We're going to take a quick break and we'll continue our discussion as soon as we're back. Have you started your marketing campaign plans for 2023? Are you interested in highlighting your services to the global IP community? Have you ever thought about publishing thought leadership content to build confidence with your industry peers? Why not consider the Global IP Matrix magazine in your 2023 marketing expansion plans? Our print digital and non-intrusive audio formatted magazine is published only three times per year to give you, our client, the best possible exposure at a minimum of eight global intellectual property conferences and event seminars per issue. We publish 3,000 copies per issue and have built solid relationships with the likes of Inter, Ector, Marks and AIPPI, plus many more important IP event organizations internationally, to give our clients the best possible exposure in the correct physical IP social environments. We market our publications like no other industry magazine. We are the only IP magazine on the market that is published in a non-intrusive audio format, so you can listen whilst you work on your favorite mobile app. So, benefit from international exposure at IP events worldwide, continuous marketing of your services throughout the year, and working side by side with a passionate team that will work hard to shine the spotlight on your business and services like no other in the global IP community. The clients that are working with us now are the clients that have stuck with us since our launch back in 2018. Contact us today for an informal chat about your IP law firm or IP business, and let's discuss how we can work together. Call plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at gipmatrix.com www.gipmatrix.com 
the Global IP Matrix Magazine, connecting you with the Global IP community. Welcome back. Okay, so we're going to talk about blockchain in a way you've never heard before, right? But let's um, set the foundation by defining it. Okay, so blockchain can be defined as a distributed database storing a permanent and tamper-proof ledger of data, a system of recording information that is difficult to change, hack, or cheat, and where any digital information distributed across the network is time-stamped, immutable, and transparent to everyone. Okay, so this is, if you're looking ever for the, the precise definition of blockchain, simple to understand, it is right in the the article we're discussing today, the Interpatent article, right there on the left in bold red. Okay, so why is, and we covered this a little bit, but why is blockchain so important for IP? Well, uh, blockchain may have, different functionalities uh, from, as I said before, uh, time stamping a document. This could be very useful uh, to create proof of authorship or ownership of a certain document. Uh, It could be very useful also to collect evidence to prove use of a trademark or genuine use of of a trademark. Uh, by way of example, in Italy, um, starting from December, the office, the, the Italian PTO, um, in front of the Italian PTO, sorry, you can file for an invalidity action, a cancellation action for non-use. Uh, before, you could only go before the courts. Now you can do it in front of the, uh, the PTO, so it's obviously um, uh, less expensive. Um for the client, and in these cases, as everybody knows, you have to prove use. Uh, and blockchain could be very useful, you know, to uh, collect this kind of data. We see that many clients do not have a specific filing system um, for all catalogs, invoices. So, if you have uh, ten invoices, we always suggest to put them on the blockchain. So. We have trace of it and the client doesn't have to go look back for invoices, you know, from 2010 in order to prove use of uh, of its trademark. Uh, Blockchain can also be very useful to manage uh, IP assets or enforce uh, IP assets. Uh, Also, um, we've seen that smart contracts have been used by our our clients, uh, for example, in license agreements. Uh, in these cases, uh, we usually suggest the clients to adopt a s- sort of hybrid form of contract, so a written document between the parties with every clause, and then uh, the uploading of some clauses onto the onto the blockchain. For example, if for the license, the parties have decided to pay a fixed amount of money per month then you can put this clause onto the blockchain. And so the blockchain says, when it's the fifth of the month, I have to take 500 euros, for example, from Mr. X's wallet and give them directly to Mr. Z's wallet. This is something that is automatic and cannot be changed. And so the parties are sure that this financial transaction occurs. Uh, obviously, if a license agreement, for example, has um, a royalty payment that has to be defined uh, 
I don't know, on the basis of uh, the company's income that month, this is kind of difficult. Uh, so blockchain cannot be useful in this sense, but there are some um, automatic activities that can be uploaded up onto the blockchain. Uh, other types of uses for the blockchain are, for example, um, when, when you have a, a, a document that can be protected by copyright, we all know that you don't need to register copyright to be protected, but you may use it you know, to prove that you are the first one to have uh, created that particular document design. Uh, so we've been using a lot of blockchain in this sense. Uh, for example, I had a client who invented a board game and wanted to protect the layout of the cards of this board game. Um, but he was afraid that somebody would copy him because he was starting to sell the board game online. And so he decided to protect the, all the, the images of the cards of the board game on the, on the blockchain by means of uploading these, uh, these cards on the blockchain so that if anybody had uh, copied him, he would have had proof of his prior existence. And so that is very useful because in Italy, before blockchain, in order to um, be sure you could have a proof of coming before somebody else, you know, and creating um, a design, a document or something like that, uh, you could only file um, the, the, the document in a closed envelope in this, it's called CIA. It's the Italian Society for Editors and Authors. It's usually known because uh, the CIA is the, the company that collects all the music rights, uh, but it's also used in case of copyright. So you can just send the CIA this envelope with your document. The CIA would, would give you a specific number, a filing number and a filing date. So if somebody then copied uh, your document, you could have asked the CIA to open the envelope and prove that you came first. But the problem is that the CIA is, um, let me say, old style. You had to send uh, the, the envelope um, by, by mail, nothing was digital. Uh, so it was kind of a slow process and uh, it only had fidelity in Italy. So nowadays our clients are more inclined to use blockchain because it costs less it's way quicker and, um, you know, you're protected everywhere. So that, that is a very important thing that our clients um, like about blockchain. So what we're seeing is that blockchain, which started with insurance and, you know, peer-to-peer -peer, uh, payments, right, um, you know, transferring funds between each other, right? Making it so much easier and instant now has been accepted, right? By the world at large and is being applied to other areas in our lives, like yeah. IP, like in the courts, right? Because really what in the, the US term we'd be using for, you know, litigators is authentication, right? Um, but it's essentially that w the document we're looking at is trustworthy. Exactly. Yes. It's authentic. 
Um, and the applications for its use, I mean, it, 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 it is changing our, our world. I don't think it's yet, it's not, I don't think it's mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain applications, yes. I don't think it's mainstream globally in, in um, like in the IP world. I think that change is gradual, but it's happening. I mean, you gave several excellent examples of its application and that's just there at home, right? Yeah. And I don't think we're seeing that everywhere yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do. And, you know, if we talk next year, Nicole, at this time, mm-hmm. who knows, right? Because a lot can happen in one year, especially when we're talking about, you know, the stuff is, it's, it's digital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that does leave me, you know, to ask you, at least, you know, in the EU IPO, where mm-hmm. blockchain seems to be really, um, really has broad application, much broader than before. And you gave us some examples in Italy, in the courts, Mm -hmm. Um, and probably in other areas as well. Um, I want to talk about luxury brands. Your uh, article touched on a certificate of uh, authenticity, Mm -hmm. essentially, that luxury brands um, are using to make sure that the goods that you buy are legitimate. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, We have these three very well-known brand owners, Prada, LVMH, and Cartier, and they 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 launched this Aura blockchain consortium. Uh, it, it's a very um, I think brilliant uh, initiative because obviously, as you know, us Italians um, really care about the made in Italy, right? So it's mm-hmm. something very very important to us and. Uh, in the luxury world, counterfeit is something that happens every day. So they decided um, to use this blockchain technology so that the clients could uh, access directly to the history of the products. So uh, from their their creation, the um, the assembly of the, of the of the goods, so they would know who did it, when they did it. And the consumer would be certain of the fact that he, he or she was buying a, an authentic good. Uh, this is something uh, I think that is very useful, especially in the luxury world where brand owners try to protect themselves from um, counterfeiting. Uh, we've seen recently that many of them have implemented uh, selective distribution systems, um, because th- these episodes of uh, copying trademarks and goods uh, are very, very frequent, especially in Italy, that is known for you know um, these kind of uh, these kind of brands. Uh, so it's it's a certificate of authenticity for the for the consumer in order for them to be certain that what they they are buying is is genuine. It's really genius. And I wouldn't be surprised if other, you know, like pharma, like pharma should be doing something like this, right? I mean, I'm thinking of the areas where, you know, anti-counterfeiting is like kryptonite, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's it's so dangerous for the public um, and obviously takes unfairly market share from the brand owners. So, um, so I think it's huge. You mentioned you mentioned, um, you know, that you like add the document to the tool, 
so, mm-hmm. you know, for, to the blockchain, mm-hmm. how, how actually, like, does your firm have a blockchain tool? Can you just explain a little bit, like, how does a document get added to blockchain? Yeah, sure. We have a provider that uh, installed a, a platform uh, for us. So we just ask the client for a PDF of that document. It's super quick. You just upload the document and like click on a button that says certifies. Uh, the document is uploaded on the blockchain. Obviously, the content of the document is not disclosed. Um, people cannot see what is on that document, but the blockchain just says, okay, today at 5.30, uh, Mr. X uploaded a document on the blockchain. The blockchain gives you this code, it's called hash, that identifies the activity of, of uploading. And um, we have the platform gives us a, a, cert, a certification um, and it says on this date, at this, at this time, Mr. X uploaded the document. This is the, um, the hash, uh, the identification code. And if you want to see the document, uh, you just put the hash on the platform and the platform just uh, shows you what the document contains. So it's, then the document, well, you can pull up the document. Exactly, basically. exactly. But you know that it's, uh, you can't hack it, you can't change it, you can't modify it because nobody knows what's on that document except you. Uh, so it's there, you know it, and if you need it, you just put the code and uh, the document just appears on your screen. Yeah, I don't think every firm has this tool, Nicole. So mm-hmm. if people have questions about it, right, mm-hmm. can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Feel free to do so. Okay, great. And we'll have your your contact information, you know, with, with the distribution of, of the podcast. With that, Nicole, I really want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you for representing um, the authors of this article and your law firm, um, it's great to talk to you again. Always so interesting. I always learn something new. Um, I do believe this is such a unique angle to blockchain. And, um, you know, there's always there's always more to learn on any given topic, I, I, I think. Um, to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Uh, thanks, Nicole. If you want to just uh, any any last words and then we'll sign off. I just wanted to thank you for the the opportunity. It was great to talk to you. Likewise. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northam's Media PR and Marketing Limited.